first thing that a parent should do when they're faced with something incredibly traumatic, but their kid has come to them and is telling them this, is to physically take a deep breath and relax your shoulders. Mm. And it sounds like like so weird to even say that, but the moment of taking a moment, breathing in and relaxing your body language will make a difference right. because it gives you a moment to look at your kid in the eye and no matter what they're telling you, maybe they're telling you about in-person sexual abuse. Maybe they're telling you about something online. Maybe they're telling you something about a family member. Maybe they're telling you something that they experienced from a sibling, right? Maybe they're telling you something that you know is about to rock your world in a way that you don't know if you will survive but you are still the parent. So in that moment, your role is to look your kid in the eye, and even though you're freaking out, to not put that on your kid, mm -hmm. and to turn to your kid right. and say, I believe you, I love you, I am so proud of you for telling me. Welcome back to another episode of The Jews Next Door, where we continue the conversation on child safety with Rachel Bayer, who is a real expert. She's the go-to. She's the go-to in the field. And we will learn so much in this episode about how to pick up on, you know, cues that our child might be being abused, how parents can teach their children about child safety and what to be aware of around, you know, family gatherings, Hagim, and so much more. This was a an incredible episode. Super excited to share it with you. And without further ado, enjoy this awesome episode. Welcome back to another episode of The Jews Next Door. It is such an absolute pleasure to be sitting with Rachel Bayer, who is the, the go-to, the, the leader of our door in, in so many areas, and, spe and specifically with you know all things related to child abuse and child safety. And, uh, and it's, uh, there's like so much more to say about you and I'll include your whole entire bio in the, in the show notes, but thank you so much. It's really such a pleasure to talk to you about raising the Jews next door, especially in this specific topic. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So first things first, when, when you think of child safety, what, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The first thing that comes to mind for me actually is probably the opposite of what comes to mind for most parents. Okay. It's the opposite of stranger danger. Mm. Like when I think about safety and and kids, I think about what it means to have a knowledge base of keeping kids safe in the places that we would assume they would be safe, like in school or in camp or in places like that. Um, so that's kind of the first thing that I think about, like what, where are the places that kids are and are they really safe? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So why, why is that where your mind goes to? Why is that where my mind goes to? Because, you know, with the work that I do, right, having navigated a lot in the world of, of sexual abuse, both as a prosecutor and also as a professional in the field, um, the statistics that we have are that 91% of kids that are sexually abused are abused by someone that they or their family, their parents, their community actually know. Right. And so this notion of stranger danger, right, mm. this notion of what we think about in terms of keeping kids safe, we kind of have to flip it because the statistics that we have, especially with regard to sexual abuse, are we're not talking about like the scene out of a Law & Order episode, right? We're not talking about the majority of sexual abuse happening where someone's being, you know, kidnapped in a white van, right? right that right, can right. happen, but sexual abuse, I mean, with strangers accounts for under 10% of mm. what we see. Wow. So we have to shift our thinking. Okay. Wow. That is that is fascinating. What you know, I, we'll get more into that. We'll come back to that. But you know, I know that you do. I know. I know that I had the experience of sitting in on it at, <laughs> yeah. at the you know the Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. And I know yeah. that you go to many many schools throughout the country and you travel a lot. What what are your yeah. what do those workshops look like? So it's different. Every school that I go to, you know, there might be something different that they're bringing me in for. So many schools do it from a proactive space. Like, mm -hmm. what do we need to do to create a safe space? A lot of the trainings that I do for faculty and staff might be like what we did and, and how we met, which was I was doing a training on boundaries and grooming right. and understanding sexual abuse. I also do trainings on mandated reporting and understanding the different forms of child abuse and 
what it means to be a mandated reporter. Mm -hmm. Like not just in a check the box way, but like, right. what does it feel like when you have to make that call? Yeah, right? Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you deal with the heart palpitations <laughs> yeah. and like the nerves? I and, was once there you know? and I, I can tell yeah. you it's a, it's a freaky place. It's, 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 it's scary. hard. Yeah. It's really hard. I do trainings on sexual harassment. I do trainings on navigating internet safety. And a lot of the schools I work with, I go in and work with students and we work on everything from sexual abuse prevention to navigating internet safety, right? Mm. Cyberbullying, sextortion, sending nudes, issues of online solicitation and safety with gaming and really thinking about some of these safety issues that so many of our kids, especially in day schools and yeshivot, are navigating. And I also do a lot of parent nights at these schools. Mm. How do we talk to our kids right. about these issues? Right. right? How do we move the needle? And how do we do it about really scary topics. Yeah. These are not easy things to talk about. So what, what would you say, I guess specifically, this is a, this is a parenting podcast. What yes. would you say is the, yes. the, 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 <laughs> the goal of your, you know, your, your, your intended goal, I guess, in those parent workshops? My goal is for every parent, no matter who they are, no matter how they parent, no matter what their values or philosophy are, is that every single parent recognize that you do not have to be a sex crimes prosecutor to keep your kids safe. You do not have to be an expert in this field. You do not have to do this for a living mm -hmm. for you to engage in meaningful conversations with your kids about being safe. And that does not mean that we have conversations with our kids that put the onus on our kids to keep themselves safe. Right. It means that we open up dialogue mm -hmm. about really complicated things in really manageable, what I like to call like the bite-sized nuggets mm -hmm. of abuse prevention in ways that feel good to us, that allow us to know that if God forbid something happened to one of our kids, they could come to us and we would be there and we would love them and we would care for them and we would make sure that they were okay. And that is really kind of my philosophy in doing any of these parenting nights, which is, I always get questions like, can you talk to my kid? And <laughs> I do not do that. <laughs> I do workshops for schools, but I do not speak to individual kids uh -huh. because I actually believe that the person that should do it should be the parent is their parent. Right. So how do, how do you get the parents to that? A, I mean, let's, let's, let's start, let's go to the first thing you said yeah. that it's the, having the ability to feel that they can talk to their parent about these things. Oftentimes, these are like the scariest thing to come forth with. Right. How do you get a parent to, or how do you help a parent to create that atmosphere where they, a child really feels safe to be able to talk freely about something like this? So I almost think two things. I almost, I want to take a step back to answer your question, which is, you know, this is a parenting podcast. We're assuming that the parents that are listening, like want to keep their kids safe. <laughs> Hope so. But I, I do think it's really important to acknowledge that for some kids, their parents aren't safe, mm -hmm. right? And if that's the case, then what we want to be able to do is know that they have a safe grown up to go to, mm -hmm. whoever that safe grown up right, is, right, whether right. it's a teacher, a grandparents, you know, a family friend. And so I think whether people are listening to this and they are a parent or they are not a parent, but they know that they're a safe grown up for someone, this is equally applicable. Right. And now because I just shared that, I need you to remind me what the question was that you just asked. <laughs> so the, the question is how do parents create this atmosphere yeah. where the child feels totally comfortable coming forward and talking about something when, you know, there could be, it could be high stakes or, you know, they're so uncomfortable with it or they're scared, whatever it is to really feel comfortable talking, especially about something like this. So I don't know that there's a magic formula because every person is different and every personality is different. But when we really think about what it means to create a, a space where kids will feel more comfortable coming forward, it's much more about bringing them into the conversation than speaking at them, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to saying to your child something like, have you ever sent a nude picture? Are you ever going to send a nude picture? You better not send a nude picture. <laughs> right, right. Like I will take your phone away if you send a nude picture. Now, if you wanted to play like check the box of having a conversation <laughs> with your kids about not sending nudes, like great, you check the box. Like that's not effective, right. right? Because in the way that we're talking to our kids, we're basically saying to them in an accusatory way, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to do this. Right, right. These are not our values. And by the way, the subtext of that is an if you do it, even if you're manipulated, 
even if you are extorted, right? Even if you get yourself into a position where someone is doing this to you, you can't come to me because I basically just gave you the impression that this was your fault because you are totally Mm. in control of everything you do. And how many middle school kids do you know that have the developmental capacity to understand long-term consequences of their actions in this moment, right? right? right. It's just not developmentally appropriate. So instead, imagine if you hear this podcast or you read a newspaper article or you see like something on a Netflix show or in some sort of movie or something of that sort and you turn to your kid while they're eating cereal or you're folding laundry, right? Or you're doing something that is just almost like a regular everyday task and you say something like, you know, I gotta be honest with you, I gotta tell you something. I was just listening to this podcast And they were talking about the fact that this issue of sending nude pictures is something that is really on the rise in our day school and yeshivot. And, you know, I was thinking about the fact that we've never had this conversation. Mm. So let me ask you this question. And I know you don't want me to ask it. (laughs) But do you have any friends that have ever felt pressured to send a nude picture? Mm-hmm. And as opposed to asking, do you have any friends that have sent a nude right, picture? Pressure, right? Right. Do you, you're asking a question to them and you're doing two things, right? The first is you're not asking about them. You're asking about their friends. Essentially, you're asking it's them like to when be someone an says upstander. Asking for a friend, correct, but really <laughs> correct. But you're like, but you're asking your child to almost be an upstander mm. in the moment. Right, right. And you're saying, like, do you have any friends that have ever felt pressured? which means you're not asking for an answer of a yes or no as to whether they've done it. Right, right. You're asking, what are your friends navigating? Mm-hmm. And that allows you to ask a few more questions. Okay, so like if your friend came to you and said that they were feeling pressured to send an inappropriate picture, what are the kinds of things like you might say to your friend? And that allows you to gauge both how your kid is feeling about this issue and also like, where you should go in terms of the next type of conversation. And I will tell you that aside from being a professional in this field, I've had many awkward conversations with my own children, right, throughout many, many years of parenting. And I think the one thing that I want parents to hear is that your conversations don't have to be perfect. Mm. That's not what parenting is. You just have to have them. And I think that one of the pieces that we have to weave in to any conversation about abuse prevention is to remember that scaring our kids is not effective. And kind of like how when we teach our kids to cross the street, right? When I was teaching my kids how to cross the street, I would walk with them. And I would stop at the end of like the curb and I would ask them to look both ways and to listen. And we would repeat that behavior over and over again, basically every Shabbat as we were walking to Shul, like that is really where the crux of this happened for years, right? As my kids got older, they helped tell their, like tell their younger siblings like what to do. I never turned to my kid and said, if you don't look both ways, you are going to get hit by a truck and your guts are going to be on the (laughs) ground, right? And you are going to die a slow death. Like I never said that. And somehow between my body language and my voice, the fact that I stopped them and that it was a repeat conversation week after week after week, they understood that there was a safety element to it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to go into the fear based like, you know, gory details to get them to see that it was for real. So when we have conversations with our kids, a lot of times we're scared to do it because we don't have all the answers. And there's a lot of fear attached to it. And just like we teach our kids how to cross the street and how to swim and how to make sure that if they have a peanut allergy, right, they take the precautions that they need and we take those precautions, we have to treat abuse prevention exactly the same way. Right, right. And also you're, another thing you're doing with that conversation is you're giving them the script that they need to kind of, as they go through it, maybe with their friends, now totally. they're a little more well-equipped, they've thought it through, and then they could, you know, have a little bit of a reaction as opposed to just like, uh, you know, like freezing totally. up. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's also what you were saying also like, you know, reminded me, I once heard of this concept of like the way when you're talking about these types of things, you should talk about it with the peanut butter jelly voice. Have you ever heard of this like concept? No, but tell me now I'm, I'm interested. So it's like, (laughs) it's like the way you're asking is like, oh, do you want a peanut butter jelly sandwich? It's like, just like a random, like, you know, just like totally Totally. like playing it cool as was like, you know, hey, we need to have a really important conversation and this is really intense. Like we got to talk about this. It's very serious. No, like. 
Just like matter of fact. Totally. Like, you know, like exactly totally. The, the way you put it. Well, right. Like I, I call it, you call it peanut butter and jelly. I like this. I call it like these breadcrumbs or nuggets right. of exactly little bits of abuse right. prevention, right? It's kind of just like there shouldn't be a big sit down conversation. Like I get a ton of reach outs before kids go to camp from parents who mm-hmm. are like, my kid's about to go to sleepaway camp. How do I talk to them about pedophiles? And I'm like, you are not going to actually talk to them about pedophiles, <laughs> right? But you are going to take them through different conversations and it can't be in a scary sit down way. It has to be natural. Right, right, right. So true. If you're looking for a great way to have some good, clean, kosher fun with your children through the powerful effect of music, look no further because Jay Karaoke is here. Jay Karaoke gives one and all the platform to belt out their favorite tunes from a library of thousands of Jewish songs, hundreds of artists, and genres across multiple decades of incredible Jewish music. Personally, I know that I love singing. I love it. I love karaoke, but I was really never able to get into it because it wasn't the Jewish songs. And that's where Jay Karaoke comes in with their huge selection from the latest hits to the classics. They even have nursery rhymes for your little ones. And with features like key changes to help you sing, to make you more comfortable as you're singing, and speeding it up or slowing down the song, they have really thought of everything. To enjoy Jewish karaoke your way, all you need to do is head to jkaraoke.com. Choose a subscription that fits for you. And to make it even more fun, you could purchase their state-of-art karaoke kit, which gives you the feeling as if you are today's top singer. You can insert whoever you feel it is. Connect your kit to any device, like it could be a laptop, a computer, a tablet, whatever it is. And you plug in your speaker, plug in your J karaoke microphone, and you sing away. It's as easy as that. That's all it is. And it's really fun. I checked out their website. Really looks amazing. They have an incredible, incredible amount of song selection. Anything you want. They got Thank You Hashem. They got Mordechai Shapiro. They really got it all. You can subscribe monthly for just $4.99 a month, yearly for $49.99. And we have a special deal here for you. For any of our listeners, if you use the code JewsNextDoor, D-O-R, you get an additional 10% off. And if you don't want your children to be using a device with internet, J karaoke has got you covered. You can download the app onto your desktop. Once you have it up, turn off the internet. Let them sing all day long without the internet. Check out J Karaoke today and let the fun... And what would you say when, you know, you said you also, you, you mentioned that you sometimes meet with students as well, like kids yeah. in like a group setting, not in an yes, individual correct, setting. correct, <laughs> correct, correct. So what, what, what are your, you know, your goals and outcomes with those types of sessions? So I think that um, when it comes to students and goals change year after year as we see other safety issues that kind sure. of really come out. I think sextortion is one of the biggest issues right now that kids yeah. are facing. Um And I think that my goal is that if one kid feels as though they're able to understand that something that was done to them is not their fault Mm -hmm. and is able to come forward to a safe adult, those ripple effects are huge. So when I walk into a room of students, whether it's, you know, 300 students or 40 students, no matter what it is, I know that statistically speaking, somewhere between... And this, the stats always change, but somewhere between like one in four and one in 13 kids will be sexually abused by the time they turn 18. Oh, and gosh. that exists right. across the board. Right. That's right. not that's not a Jewish statistic, right? right? That's from the CDC. And the bottom line is that those statistics exist, you know, in every religion, right. in every at every socioeconomic level, there's no such thing as saying that abuse right. or sexual abuse doesn't happen. And so I want kids to be able to understand that, first of all, whatever was done to them is not their fault. Mm -hmm. Second of all, that it is okay and it is important to come forward. And I also want them to be able to identify something that could happen to them or might have happened to them or a friend and really internalize the fact Mm -hmm. that as hard as it is, they can and they should tell a safe grown up. And I hope that for kids who are listening, that they also, when they get that reach out, like on Instagram, on Snapchat, on TikTok, right, wherever it might be, and they're in a situation where all of a sudden they start to realize that something scary is happening, that they that they don't think that they caused it, mm-hmm. even if they think they did, right, that right. they realize that they didn't cause it and they Got speak it. to someone. Okay. Wow. Great points. Just you like know, a few little things. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned sextortion is like one of like the biggest things yeah. right now. What can you explain that a little more? Like what what sure. are you what are you seeing? What's going sure. on? Sure. So sextortion, and I think actually. Um, the FBI put out in December of 2022 um, a real call to parents to understand that there is a huge uptick in sextortion mm. and to talk to your kids about it. Wow. Um, 
basically it's an online exploitation crime. So a lot of times what that means is that our kids who are on social media, and I'm, I just want every parent listening to know that if your kid games with people they don't know, that's also social media, right? right? It's that's, not that's just, right? A- like if your kid is playing Fortnite with people that they do not know from what I like to call their in-person places, like <laughs> school or camp, they're gaming with strangers yeah, yeah. that they may engage with somebody that they think is a kid or that they think is someone that they know mm-hmm. um, and or someone that they don't know. And they may strike up a friendship. Right. And and connect and talk. You have tons of people who pretend to be other people online. And as part of what happens with sextortion, that person right, or that group or that individual somehow manipulates your child to either send some sort of inappropriate picture, or image or video or they're able to manipulate a photo that your kid either sent or has posted publicly uh, to make it look like it's inappropriate, really? right? Wow. Which is wow. also a real possibility. What we used to call like Photoshop, but now it's like a lot more, right? Like it's yeah. a lot more um, tech savvy. And what they do is essentially once they have this image or this picture or this video, they might turn to your kid and say something like, if you don't send me more, or if you don't record yourself doing the things that I tell you, or you don't steal your parents' credit card number and give it to me right now, I know where you live, I'm gonna come to your home, I'm gonna kill your sister, right? Or I know where you live, I know your parents, I know what school you go to because your kid has shared a lot of stuff in this conversation or like, it just comes out. Where do you go to school? Where do you go to camp? All this stuff. And I'm gonna send your picture or the image that you sent me originally to your high school principal, your head of school, your entire contact list. And a lot of times people who are doing this online are really smart. They either may know your kid from an in-person place or they may not, but have pieced together a lot of different things. And so all of a sudden, Usually the gaming is more typically kids than Uh, Well, where are kids, right? Right. They're on gaming sites. So like when you think about it and our kids aren't thinking about it. So all of a sudden they're sitting there saying, you know, like, oh my gosh, like either I sent this picture, I made a mistake, right? Like I did something and made a mistake and now I have to pick up the pieces all by myself because if I tell my parents, they are going to freak out. They're gonna punish me, they're gonna take everything away. I ruin their lives. I ruin my sister's chances of getting engaged. Like all of a sudden the world is like coming down and they're sitting there going, so I will steal the credit card or I will, you know, send over another picture. I have to solve this problem Mm. because I can't tell my I can't tell my grown-ups. I can't tell my parents. By the way, whether your kid's 11 or 16 years old. And so what ends up happening is that there is, and I get calls about this almost every week, right? Like, hey, Rachel, you know, you don't know me, but I think we met in elementary school. Or like, (laughs) I think we went to camp together in the 90s or whenever it was. And I have this issue and my kid finally came to me. And the truth is, kids are also really scared about disappointing their parents, right? Like if I say to my parent that I did this, then all of a sudden my parent is gonna freak out. Maybe my parent is gonna cry. Maybe my parent is gonna lose it. And I don't wanna cause that to my parents. And that's like what you were saying before, for the kids to know it's not, even if you think you caused it. Totally. Don't, right, don't hold on to that. And that's a piece of having parents brought into the conversation and why it's so important that parents talk to their kids about these issues. Because like if I came in and talked to your kid and I leave, then when something happens, who are they going to go right. to, right? They can't all be so calling you. you they you cannot. They cannot. It does, not work. it does not work. <laughs> and because we know that this happens at such a prevalent rate, we have to talk to our kids about it. Right, right, right. So let's say, you know, parents, a child comes to their parent and they say, they tell them, you know, I'm, I'm in on this. You know, I, I, I got in too deep or, or, or even it's at, the, it's at the beginning. What's the parents, you know, what take us through step by step. What should okay. the parent, how should the parent react? What's the next thing step for the parents? Totally. So I always say that the first thing that a parent should do when they're faced with something incredibly traumatic, but their kid has come to them and is telling them this is to physically take a deep breath and relax your shoulders. Mm. And it sounds like, like so weird to even say that, but the moment of taking a moment breathing in 
and relaxing your body language will make a difference because it gives you a moment to look at your kid in the eye and no matter what they're telling you, maybe they're telling you about in-person sexual abuse. Maybe they're telling you about something online. Maybe they're telling you something about a family member. Maybe they're telling you something that they experienced from a sibling, right? Maybe they're telling you something that you know is about to rock your world in a way that you don't know if you will survive, but you are still the parent. So in that moment, your role is to look your kid in the eye. And even though you're freaking out to not put that on your kid Mm -hmm. and to turn to your kid and say, I believe you. I love you. I am so proud of you for telling me. Let's sit. Tell me what it is that you want to say right? Your job is not to say, oh my gosh, what do you mean? What do you mean? You have to tell me everything, right? Or freak out or just like burst into tears or just say, I can't believe this. Or you can't tell anybody about this. Your job in that moment is to be the parent and to say to your kid, I love you. And I'm proud of you because the truth is that most kids don't disclose. And the majority of kids go through life never ever, ever sharing the abuse that that was done to them. Not that they experienced, but that was done to them. And they never come forward and they never tell their parents because of the shame and the humiliation and the embarrassment. Because if you're an adolescent kid and you are in a situation where you are religious, you're from, right? And your body had a physiological reaction to touch you may think it's your fault, right, right. right? Maybe you've always been taught that abuse hurts and it didn't physically hurt, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't violent and it wasn't painful and you believe that you caused something to happen. So the fact that your kid is coming to you is a big deal. Yeah, It's a big deal. Right, and I like, right. this is like the moment for that dramatic pause in the podcast to say, it's a really big deal. Yeah. So your job is to be there and be present. And then- What is really important is that you recognize that if your kid is talking about something that has happened online, like a sextortion issue, your next call is to the FBI cyber tip line, of which you can Google. There's a 24-hour hotline. It's run through NICMIC, which is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. It is um, the the people on the hotline are FBI agents, right? They have they want you to report it. Mm-hmm. They have a good track record of being able <laughs> to figure out who's doing this, this and make <laughs> sure that they do not do it to other kids. So the call is not to the principal, and the call is not to me. The call is to the FBI. And if it's something that's happening in person to your child or has happened, the call is to the police, right? And that may mean if you're listening and you're in the United States, almost every state, I believe, has what we call child advocacy centers Mm -hmm. where your child can be seen. It's essentially um, a center that has both, you know, special victims detective from your from your local police department and prosecutors and doctors and trained forensic interviews. And essentially the idea of a CAC is that your child can be forensically interviewed in a way that doesn't cause trauma to them. So they're not like being interviewed at the police station and being interviewed at the DA's office and being interviewed by a doctor. Right. And and re-traumatizing them. And so friendly process. It's really it really is. And I'm a trained forensic interviewer. I don't do it anymore, but when I was a prosecutor, I did. Um, They're lovely, like toys and and bright colors and a way that makes a child feel as safe as they can possibly feel. Mm. And the most important thing is that you report to law enforcement. Wow. Wow. Okay. And what about when a parent, when the child doesn't come forward? How can a parent be better about picking up on cues that something is clearly off, you know, what, or what are the cues that they should be picking up on? Yeah. So I want to be clear that I am not a mental health professional. I'm not a licensed mental health (laughs) professional, right? I am an attorney by trade. Um, and so it's important to recognize that this is not mental health advice. And a lot of the red flags of abuse can actually be the red flags of other types of trauma, right? So it's important to recognize that if you're seeing certain things in your kid, um, like a, a, an example might be something like if you have a kid that hasn't wet their bed in a really, really long time, mm-hmm. right? Developmentally, they're like 13 years old. They haven't wet their bed since they were like five years old. Right. And you start to notice that they're wetting their bed or they're defecating in their bed yeah. or they smell like feces or urine or this kid who like cared so much about hygiene and like smelling good and looking good and showering all of a sudden shifts and from a hygiene perspective, like is not showering. Yeah. 
is yeah. not taking care of themselves and, and smells, right? That should be a red flag to you that something is happening with your child. And it happens to be that one of the signs of sexual abuse can be a child who has developmentally regressed in this way if the abuse is happening in their home. Because oh, if wow. they make their bed or themselves smell or essentially uninhabitable, then maybe it will stop the abuser, wow. right? It's almost a defense mechanism. So interesting. Now, it doesn't mean that it couldn't be a sign of something physical or right. physiological, right, right? right? I'm also not a doctor. Um, but so a lot of those pieces are being able to pick up. It's not just that something's happened with my kid. This is a real red flag and this is a sign. Right. I also tell parents, don't just look for red flags in your kids. Look for the red flags in the people around your kids. Mm. So if your kid goes to a school and their teacher or an adult in their community is blurring every boundary with that kid, right? Texting that kid at all hours, picking them up, offering to take them places alone, that should raise your red flags, right? right? We sat through a whole session yeah. on boundaries and totally. why they're so important. And so I want parents to educate themselves on all of this. Um, there are some great organizations that have great tips for parents out there. Darkness to Light is one of them. Um, I don't have any connection to them. So that is not <laughs> like a, it's not, it's not a paid endorsement. I want to be clear. Um, sure. But to really educate yourself about the red flags. Got it. Would you say that there's a difference? I know you mentioned briefly, but like a difference between red flags for emotional abuse and sexual abuse or not necessarily? You know, it's really hard to know. I would say that, you know, a lot of the red flags, again, with regard to any form of abuse may also intersect with red flags of trauma, right? Uh -huh. So like, for example, suicidal ideation or some sort of, you know, engaging in self-harm or, you know, um, being really, really terrified or scared of someone or something that they weren't terrified or scared of before, right? Certain habits that have shifted or something where you see like a complete change in their personality, granted adolescence is also a complete change in the kid's personality, <laughs> right. right? And you're saying to yourself, something feels off, something right. seems off. So I think as opposed to differentiating between the signs of physical abuse, sexual abuse, and emotional abuse, right, or neglect, it's important to acknowledge that a lot of these red flags may actually, maybe, may like, you know, exist for all types of abuse or sure. just some types of abuse and to also recognize that they could also be signs of other trauma. Got it. Got it. So you, you were mentioning before that one of the things about keeping our children safe is about more so not the stranger danger, but really about the people who are around us. So how do we, how can parents teach their child in a, you know, in a, I guess age appropriate way for different ages, maybe we'll talk about, you know, how to look at it yeah. at different ages about, you know, grooming or, you know, people who are tricky, whatever, you know, however you look yeah, at that. Yeah, you've heard me use the term yes, tricky. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally, tricky behaviors. So the first thing is I, I really prefer not to use like the sexual abuse language with mm -hmm. young kids. Um, we don't have to talk to young kids about pedophiles or even the word sexual abuse or grooming. And a lot of times when we try to talk about them, we explain them in ways that does not, that, that just don't make sense to kids. Sure, sure. So instead of talking about a particular type of person, I like to talk about behaviors, what we call tricky behaviors behaviors. Right. I didn't coin the term, but, um, <laughs> but I talk about it a lot. And the idea with a tricky behavior is that there are certain things that are safe and there are certain things that are unsafe. Mm -hmm. And it could be that an individual that you love or that you think is awesome does something that is unsafe, right? If your little sister walks over to the stove and turns on the stove and puts their hand out to the burner, you might love your little sister, but that is an unsafe behavior, right? right? right. So when it comes to the idea of what grooming is, right? Grooming is essentially an abuser identifying some sort of vulnerability or creating a vulnerability in your child, latching onto that, and by engaging in a breakdown of natural boundaries that are meant to exist with your child and that adult in that particular situation, engaging in connecting with your kid for the purpose of doing something sexual to that child or having that child do something sexual to them. Right. Right? That is what grooming is. It's an act. It's not about someone's sexuality. It's not about their gender. Mm -hmm. And it's not about who they are. So the way that we think about tricky behaviors are what are the things that we can teach our kids about something that feels kind of tricky, right? Is this behavior something that is safe or not safe? 
no matter who's doing it. Right. And so one of those are, and I know I've shared this with you before, I do a lot of talking about the difference between secrets and surprises, right? right? A secret right. is something that has no ending. A surprise is something that has an ending. Teaching our kids, like no healthy grown-up needs you to keep a secret. And if someone asks you to keep a secret from your parents or from your grown-ups, I really want you to come and tell me, right. right? And then practicing, playing a game. Okay, so if we make a birthday party for Safta, for our grandmother's you know, 80th birthday, is that a secret or a surprise, mm. right? Oh, it's a surprise. And why is it a surprise? Because on Sunday, when we have this awesome party, she's gonna know about it. Right. So it ends, right, right. that's a surprise, mm -hmm. right? So secrets versus surprises. Another thing that we can think about when we think about tricky behaviors are somebody saying to you and somebody that you know, you don't have to tell your parents. Mm. You don't have to right. tell that your grownups. <laughs> that should be, now, how many people listening are literally like, okay, but my kids' grandparents do that all the time, right? right? Like they'll give them a lollipop and be like, don't tell your email, like don't tell your mom, right? right all right. the time. But it's actually important to bring the adults around your kids into the conversation to say to your parents or their grandparents, parents or their aunts and uncles, actually one of the safety things that we're working with our kid on is about tricky behaviors mm. and making sure that the grownups, especially the ones that we love and we trust, never ask them to keep something from their parents. Mm. Could we get your help with that? Right. Right. Like you're not saying to you your mother-in-law, you so well. right? You're not so saying well. to your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, like you, you cannot do that. Right, what right. instead what you're saying is I need your help. Right. Help me mm -hmm. parent my kid. And what what, you know, grandparent <laughs> doesn't want to be asked to help right, parents, right, right? right? So those are the types of things that we think about with tricky behaviors. Right. And how do, how do we get a child to understand that a secret is like that bad? Meaning like, how do you get on a child's level? And I guess, well, you know, actually, let's go one step, one, one, one back one step. What, at what age do these conversations happen? So I... Or can they start happening? Yeah. So um, I am actually a real firm proponent that abuse prevention actually starts with teaching your kids the proper names of their genitals. Okay. So when you are with your like, you know, baby and you're changing their diaper and you talk to them because every parent talks to their kid, <laughs> even if they can't talk back, like, oh, you're so cute or you're so delicious or like, we're going to change your diaper now. Like you think about the conversations you've had with the child that actually doesn't say anything back to you, <laughs> right. but just like you turn to your, your toddler or your, your young child and you might say, and this is your nose, and these are your ears, right? It is important that from a very early age, our kids are able to identify their private parts, that there is no shame attached to the name of their private parts. Mm -hmm. They should know that there are different private parts, and they can know that we keep certain parts private. We cover them with a bathing suit, right? We cover them with clothing, but there's not a kid that should walk into any situation, any pre-K classroom, and feel like it's embarrassing to say, I have a penis, or I have a vulva, or I have a vagina, for a few reasons. The first is that sexual abuse is gonna involve some sort of body part. Right. And if there's shame attached to their body parts that mm. are private, then there is this automatic education where a kid knows that they should be embarrassed to say the name, and if they should be embarrassed to say the name, like Kava Homer, they should be embarrassed to tell someone if right. something is done to those private mm. parts, mm. right? Mm. Wow. So like, even more so, right. they should be embarrassed. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we, I, and I saw this as a prosecutor all the time, I saw kids who couldn't identify what had happened to them because they kept calling their private parts by nicknames or different names or really? because for months they had been telling their mom, my belly hurts, my uh, belly hurts when what age, what age so was that and so. Way? Two, three, four years old, wow, right? Wow, being wow. able to feel like that mixture of embarrassment and not being able to identify that part of your body. Right. And so when we think about these abuse prevention conversations, though you are not talking to your six month old about tricky behaviors, right? right? Like you're not, um, you can work to really think about abuse prevention by teaching them the correct names of their mm -hmm. body parts. Okay. Wow.
Wow. And getting back to secrets. So is it ever okay for a child to have secrets? Well, I think the differentiation and the developmental differentiation is to recognize that kids asking other kids to keep a secret, like, oh, I like someone, don't tell them. Or like, I really don't like this teacher because they didn't give me a hundred on a test, but right. I need you to keep that a secret, right? There's a very big difference between that and between saying to our kids, no healthy grown up." or even someone that's older than you, depending on what age your child is, needs you to keep a secret from your parents, right? Right. And the truth is that I talk to like my own kids all the time about the difference between, you know, a secret where someone is asking you to keep this from your parents, but even when your friend asks you to keep a secret, I like to differentiate between things that give us like almost like these red warning signs, these red flag feelings versus green flag feelings, mm -hmm. right? If a friend turns to a kid and says, I like this person, but don't tell them, right? Does it make you feel like there's a warning sign, that red flag feeling? Right. But if your friend turned to you and said, I need, I need you to keep a secret, you know, something really scary happened to me. Right. And they turn to your kid right, and right. tell your kid about the abuse mm -hmm. that they're navigating, that should give your kid that, that red flag feeling, that red warning feeling. So it's important to differentiate and say, you know, no healthy grown up, no healthy adult, no healthy person that's older than you is going to ask you to keep a secret from your parents. But even if a friend asks you to keep a secret, if it gives you that red flag feeling, I want you to come and tell me, even if you promised your friend that you wouldn't because you're actually doing the right thing by telling me. Hmm. Wow, okay, huge. Huge. I, you know, maybe we should have said this even in the beginning, but what would you say are the statistics in the Jewish community of all of this? So I don't know that we have any good current stats. Okay. Um, what I can tell you is that it is my firm belief based on just national statistics and statistics in general that come out about sexual abuse that haven't shifted much, which is that it's just as prevalent in the Jewish community as it is in the Christian community, um, as it is in the Muslim community, as it is in a totally non-faith-based community. Right, right. I think the difference is, and this is my opinion, um, the difference is that when we don't talk about this as much as we should, when we don't educate ourselves and our and the adults around our kids and our kids, it's less likely for someone to come forward mm -hmm. and it's less likely for someone to be reported. Because it's like a taboo. Correct. Is that why you think it feels like it feels like it's more prevalent in our community? Even though, like you're saying, it's, yeah. it's similar. But I also think that what we're seeing over the past like two years, and I think especially with you know the Chaim Walder situation, right? We saw this massive shift of of almost people speaking out, right? People speaking out and being willing to speak out and say, this is not okay. And I think a piece of that is that people are able to connect, adults are able to connect on social media, yeah, right? Yeah. And they're able to find a place where their voice is being heard. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of discussion about it. Um, and I also think the more we start to realize that this happens. It doesn't make someone less than. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't be considered the most, you know, wonderful, impactful person as part of your community. It doesn't taint them. It shouldn't be something that's taboo. Like we would never turn to someone that, you know, you know, had navigated another type of trauma and think like this was your fault or you right, caused right, it. Right. Why would we ever think that about something mm, like this? That's such a good and point. so I wow. think that there's been a bit of a shift. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think, I, I mean, like, I don't think that we're at a place where every survivor would ever feel feel comfortable coming forward. I don't think that we're a community that knows yet exactly how to embrace every survivor that comes forward and be able to take a stand against abusers. Right. I don't think that every shul understands you cannot have a registered sex offender getting an aliyah. Right. Like it doesn't work yeah. and they shouldn't be allowed in shul, yeah. right? Like all of these things matter. So I think we're, is, we're, is there we're like getting a fix? there. Is there like something that could really realistically put an end to these horrific and horrible, horrible things in our community? Or is there like... I mean, like that's the question. Right. right? <laughs> you know, 
in general, I can't say that I'm always an optimist, but I like to have an optimistic point of view. I say to people all the time, like, I hope that there comes a day where like, no one needs me to run workshops anymore. No one needs to do abuse prevention sessions because like everything is amazing and perfect. Right. Like that's that we don't want to do that. No, no, no. But like, (laughs) I I would be happy to be in that position. I I don't think that's realistic just based on the fact that we know that, that really unsafe things happen. I think the more we talk about it, the more we report things mm-hmm. to the police or children's services, right? Depending on where you are, sure, as opposed sure. to to rebellion, right? The more that we understand that this isn't something to sweep under the rug, the more likely it is that we will actually work to eradicate this issue. Right, right. right. Have you, you know, you mentioned before that it's more typically to be with people that we, you know, know or that, you yeah. know, so is, you know, Something that I feel like is not, maybe not even spoken about enough. I know it's, I, I've seen it a little bit more recently is that by family gatherings or especially like holidays like yeah. Him, yeah. is especially a time for parents to be that they should be more aware. Yeah. hundred what, what are things that parents can do? You know, besides for all the other Yom Tovim preps right. that we already have to do <laughs> oh my gosh, that they exhausting. should be doing to, to help make sure that their children are safe during okay. these times. So I actually think that there are two pieces to this. There are three pieces to this, actually. The first is to recognize that it's really hard to acknowledge that the people that we love and we care about, our kids may not, could potentially not be safe around someone that yeah. you have known to love and care yeah, about. Hard, yeah. Right. So we almost have to acknowledge how much, how hard that is and kind of put it to the side and say, but you know what's harder? You know what's worse? Being in a position where something happens to my kid. So instead of assuming everybody around us is not safe, put certain things in place. Have conversations with your kids about certain things. For example, you know, like a lot of stuff is gonna be happening at the bar mitzvah, right? Like a lot of people are gonna be here. It's really important for you to know that nobody should be going into any rooms and closing the door, right? And if you're in a situation where someone, even that we know or that we love, acts in a tricky way, asks you to keep a secret, tries to give you something and says, hey, you don't need to tell your parents or your grownups, or even says, hey, come on, I know your parents don't know about this, but let's go, let's go hang out in like a a small room. I want you to be like, no, that's tricky. Come on and tell me, (laughs) right? Like it doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean they're good. I just want you to know, hey, that's super tricky. Let's go and tell our parents. Mm -hmm. But I also think that along with that need to come conversations with our family members. Mm. There are things that we do not do. We need your help to be able to institute really good safety practices. It's not because we don't think you're safe, but here are the things, kind of like what we talked about before, but also be aware and be mindful. If there's someone that shows up or is at your Pesach Seder or is at that shul dinner, right, or that big kiddish with your kids or is like at the bar mitzvah or at the bat mitzvah, wherever it might be, and they are, you know, and they're and they're kind of engaged directly with your child in a way that doesn't, first of all, doesn't feel comfortable to you because they don't really know your kid, but also they're like, they won't let up hugging or touching or trying to get your kid to sit on their lap, right? right, right. A lot of times, I will say to the people around my own kids, like, by the way, my kid does not have to hug anyone, right? Like we ask, can I give you a hug? Can I give you a kiss? And if my kid says no, you don't get to give them a hug. And and I ask my own kids, like, may I give you a hug, right? Like I do that too. So (laughs) a lot of it is- I remember years ago, my wife's like, it, like just because it's like you know your parents are south and south or whatever yeah. like doesn't mean that they have to give them and you no, should ask the person and ever since then like she she was so right on it ever since then I'll say, I'll ask my kids before yeah. I put them to bed every night I say can I, can I give you a kiss good night correct and when they say no I always like and I have one kid who really doesn't love to be hugged and I'll always be like I totally get that sometimes I feel that way too right, right? right. like in other words validate it sure, sure. but it's also when you see that family member go in to try to hug your kid and they don't want to or they can't articulate it yeah you have to intercede yeah wow. you have to That's be a hard one. <laughs> you have to be your kid's protector yeah right and the bottom line is you don't have to come in with a cape and be like stop no hugging allowed right you don't have to like yell at your in-laws or yell at your parents <laughs> but you actually can intercede and say okay here here is the deal. Actually, we don't force our kids to hug anyone. And I'm sure that they know that you love them so much. And I'm sure you know that. And we don't need hugs to show that. Right. 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 right? Like it's awkward. Oh, yeah. it's, it's super awkward. So awkward. But oh, what's gosh. more awkward is your child knowing that you saw it mm-hmm. and you didn't say a word. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's true. Is it ever okay for like an aunt or an uncle to like say like, oh, let me put them to bed. You know, I'll, I'll go with them into the room and put them to bed. Like, is that like, should that be for a red sure. flag? Or like, no, no, like for sure. And again, it all depends on like, again, it's not about the person. Mm-hmm. It's about their actions. It. Right. So if you have a family member. No, but like, should that be a red flag? Should they, if no? they're saying like, oh, I can put them to bed. Don't worry about it. Like, is that like, is that. Not if your relationship with them is one where they help you out in the house all the time. Right. The door should be open. Right. right? You should be in a situation where you're poking your head in once in a while. But again, it's not about the person. It's about their behaviors. If every other behavior that they're engaging in feels like, you know, very, very safe and there are zero tricky behaviors and zero red flags and you need the help, meaning you've asked them to help you many, many times, then I don't see an issue with it. But again, it's not about the person. It's about their behaviors. Sure. Sure. Are there any things, you know, that we haven't discussed that people like don't think, to, I feel like we've, so we've gone a lot, but are there much. things that people don't even think to ask about in this area that you've, that you've seen that like, you know, what, something that pe- parents just never think of. And it's like, it's surprising, but like anything like that. I think it's more that parents assume that if something happens to their kid, their kid will tell them. Mm. And I hear this from parents a lot. I have an amazing relationship with my kid. My kid is like totally amazing. They tell me everything. They would totally tell me. Like I I trust that my kid would just always tell me. And I always say back to parents, like I have a really good relationship with my kids too. And I know that there's a good chance they wouldn't tell me. And not because of what I do, but because the reality of understanding how abuse works means that it really twists your ability to believe that you can tell someone. And so we have to acknowledge that hurdle, which is why this is not a one-time conversation. It's why it's not an intense sit-down conversation. It's why turning to our kids while you're like literally putting the dishes away and being like, okay, okay, let's, let's talk this out for just a moment. Like, let's say ah, somebody ever tried to touch your private parts, use the anatomically correct names, right? (sighs) So like, let's say someone ever tried to do that. Like, what would you do? Or like, let's, let's talk through it. Right. And your kid is going to say something like, ew, that's so gross. That's so gross. I don't want to like, why would anyone ever do that? And I want every parent here to think about the answer to that. Mm-hmm. The answer feels very scary because you want to turn to your kid and say, uh, I don't know, like, should I talk about pedophiles? Should I talk about sexual abuse? Like, what do I do? But what they're asking is, why would someone do that? And the answer really lies in the idea of safety, what we right. started with, right, right? right? An answer could be, you know what? The truth is that most people in this world are totally amazing, but sometimes people act in an unsafe way. Mm-hmm. And one of the unsafe things that people can do is if there's anything that involves your private parts. So if someone acts in an unsafe way, even if there's someone we love and think is amazing and so funny, I want you to come and tell me. And I'll be proud of you for telling me. And also, by the way, I want you to know that there is nothing that anyone could do or say to you that would ever make me stop loving you. You know that, right? You know I love you so much. And then like, as you're wiping the dishes and putting them away, be like, you know I love you, right? Like, in other words, it doesn't have to be heavy and it doesn't have to use scary words, but I want parents to know that the conversation has to be ongoing. It's not a one and done. Proactive and not a one and done. Right, right. Okay. Any, any final message? I feel like you, I, you, I feel like you just gave yours, but <laughs> no, I did. It's really a pleasure to be here. And you know, it's really, it, it's really important to talk about. Thank you so much. Really such Thank incredible you. wisdom and so clearly so much experience. Thank and, you. uh, I hope that, like you said, I hope we, we come to a place where one day we, we hopefully don't need this and, and Rachel will be able to give over to the world. Totally ways, retire. But, uh, <laughs> We're good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. It is so clear how much information and how much experience Rachel has. And really, you know, from her from her time and just really from so many different components of her life that she she really has such a hold on on this topic. And I really think that this episode is crucial for, for all parents, because the only way we can really start putting an end to to these things in our community is if we raise our own knowledge and awareness about them and then we give it over to our children. It's, it's really important, to, you know, I loved her idea that child safety is having the knowledge base to keep our children safe in places that we would assume that they would otherwise be safe, like school and camp and shul, youth groups and whatever it is, all those areas, that's a really crucial idea and, and having that knowledge base. And it's also super important for us to realize 
that once abuse does happen, it really hinders one's ability and comfort level to be able to, to share openly. I think that's a really important part. And the last thing I think that she really shared was the, the concept of it being an ongoing conversation. I mean, these are just my takeaways. I'd love to hear your takeaway. Please reach out to us at jenoliff.org. Reach out to us on, on Instagram, Parenting the Jews Next Door, Twitter, Yair Manchel. On Jen Oliff, you can read, you can leave comments, you can email us, anything at all. We'd really love to hear from you. Check us out again next week as we talk more about technology with Dr. Ellie Shapiro, who's the go-to in the field, the director, the creator of digital citizenship. And we continue to make sure that we have the tools we need to be the best parents we could be to raise our children safely. Let's raise the Jews next door together.